All right, this morning we are going to be going to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. If you need help finding that, it comes right after 1 Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter 1. While you're turning there, let me ask this question, and I want you to raise your hand if it's true of you. How many of you in the past month have suffered some kind of hard time or trial or sickness or injury or faced some kind of circumstance that you didn't have an answer for? Raise your hand. Okay, all right, look around, okay? Just about everybody here, and if you haven't, I want to talk to you because i got to figure out what I'm doing wrong. All right. No, that's that's not it at all. It's not that we're doing anything wrong. That's just a part of life. Okay. God never said that when you get saved or if you come to church, everything's going to be you know roses. Nothing's ever going to go wrong. You'll never get sick. That that is false teaching. If somebody tells you that, God tells us in His Word that we will suffer. There are things that we have to go through in life, and He builds us up and strengthens our faith through those. But this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul references God here, and we're going to read this in just a second, but Paul references God as the God of all comfort. And I think we forget that many times in our lives, because when we're going through the experience, we want help, we want comfort, we want healing, we want whatever the answer is, but we forget that God has promised to give it to us already. And so we, like a lot of biblical authors actually, will sit and lament our situation and, oh, God doesn't hear me, and oh, this is not going to get better, and oh, life is just getting worse, and I'm never going to get out of this. You know, you know the feeling. And Paul says, we have a God of all comfort who comforts us in those afflictions. So let's read together the first 11 verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 1 here. We're going to start at verse 1. This is Paul writing to the church at Corinth, and he says here in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, under the church of God which is at Corinth with all the saints which are in all Achaia. Now I'm going to stop there just for a second. He's talking to Christians. Just remember that, Okay. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so ye shall also be of the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver 
in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us, yet also helping together by prayer for us, that for this gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. We'll stop there, and let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll look at our message this morning. Father, we know that you've given us your word to instruct us, to teach us, but also to comfort us. Lord, your word will not return void, and so it has everything we need in it. And so as we look at what you teach us today, Lord, we know that your word is truth, and you will teach us truth. And so help us to submit to your spirit as he tries to uh, make known to us these things that we need to hear. Lord, help us truly to find the comfort that we're looking for in you and not in anything else, because we know that that is in vain. And may you accomplish the work that you have sent forth your word today to do in us. So, Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We've lifted up our voices in song and prayer to you, and may our hearts now be lifted up as we hear your word spoken. Lord, I'm just a weak human being, but you can use me as your mouthpiece now, and so I ask that you give me strength and fill me with your spirit. Give me wisdom to speak your words and your truth today so that we might be taught by you and by your spirit. And we'll give you all the praise and glory, and we ask in Jesus' name, amen. The question I think we all have asked is, you know, why do we suffer so much? Why do Christians have lives that are so hard? And there's a lot of teaching, false teaching, I would say, by what I call prosperity gospel teachers, that if you follow God, you're going to be rich, you're going to be healthy, you're going to be wealthy, you'll have lots of friends, nothing will go wrong in your life because God wants you to be happy. That may be true. It is true that God wants us to be happy. Thank you. God does want us to be happy, but the Bible tells us that if you want to be happy, your happiness is found in God. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. So happiness is found in the Lord and in his word. Comfort is part of that happiness. We find comfort, not in things in the world, not in the circumstances of our life changing, but we find comfort in God. That's what Paul's teaching us here. But you think about those times that you want to be comforted. I think many of us have been sick over the last month. There's been a lot of sickness going around, uh, some injuries. I mean, we've heard and pray, are praying for some surgeries, even here within our church coming up and that have just happened And so all of us go through these things, all of us experience these down times in life. And and remember last week, we saw from Scripture that all of us are going to go through wilderness experiences, those times when life is hard and it seems like God is not there. We're just kind of wandering and we're getting nowhere, except we saw that just like in David's situation, just like in Moses' life, God uses those wilderness situations to break us and to teach us about himself. It's to get rid of our own pride. It's to get rid of all of the the confidence we have in our own flesh and to put us solely and completely in the hands of God so that our trust is in him. And that's what it means to be a man after God's own heart, to completely trust in him, to find in him everything that we need. Job 
experienced this. And in the midst of losing everything and suffering extreme sickness and pain, he seeks relief from God. And in fact, the relief that his friends offered ended up being only criticism. And so there was no comfort even from his friends. We saw David again. He's running for his life. He seeks God's deliverance and consolation. And you read about that over and over and over in the Psalms. In the book of Habakkuk, the prophet Habakkuk is looking for God's help. As he looks around him, he sees the entire nation of Israel falling deeper and deeper into sin. And he's like, wait a minute, God, you've promised that you would deliver us. You promised that you would be our God. And, and look at the evil that's happening. Look at this nation is being overrun by heathen nations. I don't understand. And in Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, he says, O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity, and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me. There are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked. Judgment doth never go forth, for the wicked doth compass me about and discompass the righteous about. Therefore, wrong judgment proceedeth. You hear the pleading in Habakkuk's voice. We've been studying Solomon's work in Ecclesiastes, and in chapter 4 he starts off and he says, as we look around, all we see is that the poor are oppressed, and those who are in power are the ones who are doing the oppressing. And there's no solution to it. It doesn't get better. In fact, Solomon says it probably would be better if we weren't born at all. We wouldn't have to experience this. And so all of us, I think, experience times in our lives where we feel like that. And we cry out to God like Habakkuk did. And we say, Lord, look around. Look at what's happening. Don't you care? He does. And he does hear us. And from the human perspective, it might seem as if God's not present or that he's not paying attention when we're in this suffering, but he is. And it's not that he's not with us and he doesn't care. The problem is that we are looking for a physical or emotional comfort, and the God of all comfort wants to give us ultimate comfort in spiritual comfort. We're not going to have physical comfort or emotional comfort unless we accept that spiritual comfort that God brings to us, that God can only bring to us. We're looking for a physical remedy, a physical feeling better, physical health, physical solutions to the problems that we face in the world, and yet God is trying to do a spiritual work in us because that's more important. And so we miss the comfort that God offers because we're looking for something other than the real comfort that God offers. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7 says, The trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes. That means the things that we go through in our trials and suffering, God considers to them to be more valuable than gold to us. They should be to us as well. He goes on, he says, Though your life be tried with fire, you might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. That's not a physical healing. That is a spiritual comfort that helps us to see God in our life and give him the praise that he deserves, even in the midst of the suffering. Now, there's lots of reasons 
why God allows bad things in our lives? That's the big question, right? Well, for the believer, let me just give you a few. The Bible tells us he allows difficult times, struggles, and suffering in our life to strengthen our faith. He allows suffering in our life to draw us out of and away from the world, to reveal what we truly love so that we understand what he sees already, to teach us to be obedient even through trials, to provide opportunities just to show us his love. Now, we look at that and we think, well, I don't understand that. And you remember when Jesus was on earth and when he was with his disciples, they were walking down the street, they came across a blind man, and they said, well, who sinned, him or his father or his parents? And Jesus said, no, nobody sinned. This, this didn't come about as a judgment for sin. This is just an opportunity for God to demonstrate his glory. And so sometimes the sufferings in our life are just opportunities for God to demonstrate his love and compassion for us. And you might think, well, that's self-defeating. No, it's not. Because God says we're going to suffer, we're going to have trials, and it's through those trials that we experience the grace of God more fully than if everything is okay. Paul alludes to that in, in, in 2 Corinthians here. So there's many reasons that we experience suffering and trials in our life, but here at 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us one of the big reasons that God allows us to suffer is so that we might experience the comfort of God, the God of all comfort, who gives us all comfort. And so our trials and suffering in life bring the comfort that only God can bring in our lives. And it's the only way that God can bring the comfort into our lives. That is part of God's ministry and providing for us. Now, we know God provides our needs. The Bible tells us that. And when we think of God provides our needs, immediately our minds may go to, well, we have clothing, we have a house to live in, we have food, transportation, we have friends, we have a church and a church family. You know, God does provide those needs. But God also provides comfort in affliction. This is something he excels at, that nobody else can do this. And it may not look or feel exactly like what we're expecting, and that's why we so often miss the comfort that God offers us. Because we want something different, and God is trying to give us true spiritual comfort in our soul. And so this is the only real comfort that we can have. And so here in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 1, Paul teaches us the lesson of what it means to be comforted. Now, as we look at this, I want you to jump down to verse 3, because Paul says our comfort depends upon our attitude about or toward God. In verse 3, he says, blessed be God. Now, is that what comes to mind when you get sick, when you're laying in bed, if you've injured yourself or if you have surgery? You, lay, you wake up in the morning, you feel the pain, you can't get out of bed, and you go, oh, blessed be God. I don't think so. That's not the normal human reaction. Okay, and I am guilty of that. A couple of weeks ago, I slipped on our front sidewalk and tore a muscle in my leg. Some of you probably saw me with the cane for a while. Okay, When I was laying there, that's not the first thing that came to my mind. Okay, My wife and I had plans. I had things to do, and here I am laying hobbled. I couldn't even get up and walk by myself. And my thought was, why, God? Why today? Okay, That's how we react. But look at what Paul says. Verse 3, blessed be God, 
even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. See, it's our attitude that, depend, that, that, that puts us in a place where we can see the comfort that God is offering us. But if we're always looking at God going, why, God? I don't understand why you're throwing all this at me right now. That's not going to help us find comfort. And so Paul says, blessed be God. Now, the word blessed here is eugaletos in the Greek. And literally translated, it means adorable. God is adorable. Now, that doesn't mean he's cute. It means he is one who should be adored, even in our suffering. The idea behind that word is that we look at God, we adore him for who he is and what he does. And so in those suffering times, we look at God and we should be in this attitude of praise God, blessed be God. What did Job say in the midst of his suffering? He said, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Even if he slay me, yet will I trust him. That was Job's attitude, and that's the attitude that Paul is talking about here. And with that attitude of, okay, God is going to be blessed, God is good, and I will adore him regardless of my circumstances, then, Paul says, we will recognize him as the God of all comfort. Now, we have a lot of things that we can adore God for, that we can praise and bless God for. Psalm 111, verse 2, the works of the Lord are great, sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. Now, in that verse, it says the works of the Lord are great. Everything he does is great, is good. But it says they're sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. Do we have pleasure in the work of God, even if it's in our suffering? We don't love that. We don't enjoy suffering. But It says we seek out God's good work even as we suffer, and we find pleasure. We adore God in it. Psalm 145, verse 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. So did he make a mistake when he allowed you to get hurt or to get sick or for that trial to come into your life? Did God mess up? No, his ways are righteous, and he is holy in everything he does. So we have to have that attitude toward God that, Everything he allows is perfect, is part of his plan. And we go back to Romans 8, 28, and it says, and we know, as believers, and we know, and let me say it one more time, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. We know it, and how often do we forget? This is for our good. Everything that God allows is for our good. And so we can't receive that comfort from God if we don't see him and his works as good. We can't receive comfort from God that he's offering if we're rebelling against his purpose for us. Now, we have our own plans. God has his plan. And if we're trying to do our plan instead of just submitting to God's plan, of course we're not going to be comforted. Because we're fighting against him. And so God allows us to go through all these things for our good. C.S. Lewis said this, Suffering is God's megaphone to rouse a sleeping world. God allows pain in our life to show us that we've walked away from him, that we're trying to live without him. 
And it's in our suffering and in our trials that God drives us back to him and to the point sometimes where we have to hit bottom and go, God, I can't do it anymore. I need you. That's where he wants us. And that's where we'll find comfort. So God uses those trials for good. Psalm 46 begins with these words, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Does it always feel that way? Of course not. But he is there. He wants to help us. He wants to use everything for good in our lives. But we don't always see it that way. As you get to the end of Psalm 46, God starts speaking and he says, Be still and know that I am God. I think so often we miss God's comfort because we continue to fight. We continue to try to do it ourselves to fix things the way we think they ought to be fixed. And we don't take time to stop and be still and know that he is God. That's why we miss the comfort of God. These, it's, it's in our times of suffering and sickness and trial that we actually have the best opportunity to stop and be still and know that he is God. Now, many of you know I have an asthma. I suffer with that on occasion. and Sometimes it just gets me down. I can't get out of bed. I can't breathe. And I can't do anything, really. I mean, it's, it's hard for me even to read. But when you're down in bed like that, what else is there to do but pray? To be still and know that he is God. And we all are put in circumstances like that because God wants us to be still and know that he is God. Unfortunately, we filled our lives up with so much activity and so much good stuff that we forget to stop and be still and know that he is God. And so God puts us in a situation where we can't keep going and we have to be still. And that's when we should look at him and say, okay, God, I understand I've neglected you. I've strayed away from you. You've put me here because you just want me to pay attention for a little while. Remember Elijah running for his life after his great victory on Mount Carmel? Jezebel was coming after him. He ran and he hid on the cave in Mount Sinai. And he's begging for God to take his life because he can't do it anymore. And God sends a strong wind that broke the rocks around him. But the Bible says... Even in that strong wind, God was not there. And then God sends a great earthquake. The Bible says God was not in the earthquake. And there's a great fire that comes from heaven, but God was not in the fire either. And then finally comes a still, small voice that speaks to Elijah in his affliction. See, Elijah had to be put in a situation where he was helpless He had nowhere to go. He had nothing else that he could do. And he stopped and just listened. And that's why God allows trials and suffering. And so if we take advantage of these periods of solitude in our lives, we can increase in our understanding of God's purpose for us. We can draw closer to him in fellowship. And yet most of the time all we do is lay there and complain, right? But as you begin to understand and know God better, you begin to recognize that all things do work together for good. And so our response becomes, blessed be God, the Father of all comfort, even in those worst times of our life. 
Paul goes on, he gives us three reasons to bless God. He says in verse 3, Blessed be the God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who sent Jesus to become our sacrifice, our Savior. He is the one who uh, appointed Jesus as our high priest and as our intermediary, as our mediator. Blessed be God because he's the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Blessed be God just because he provided salvation for us. All right, forget about the sickness and about the trials and the suffering and the pain and all of that. That's all going to go away. We have a much brighter future. Blessed be God because he sent Jesus to give us a better future. And he says, so he's the father of Jesus. We should bless him for that. And then he says, he's also the God or the father of mercy. Now, the father of mercy means he's the source of mercy, not just that he gives mercy. Mercy originates in God. The father of something kind of is the inventor of it. And so literally, Paul is saying, God, the father, invented mercy. There was no such thing apart from him. That's a great reason to bless the Lord. Because without mercy, we'd be all in trouble. Not just physically, especially spiritually. But even mercy has its outward expression in the midst of trials and suffering, right? When you see somebody in need, if you show mercy on them, it's the compassion that flows out of a love to help someone. And so God allows trials to show his mercy in our life so that we can experience the fullness of his mercy even in the worst times of our life. And so he's the source of all mercy, and so we should bless him. He has compassion for us in our distress. In Psalm 103, David says this, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Hebrews 4, we studied this this morning in Sunday school, that we don't have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmity. But he's been tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. Jesus experienced everything that we could go through in this life, pain, suffering, rejection, loneliness. It doesn't matter. You fill in the blank. Jesus understands it. And because he understands it, he can offer us the best comfort that there is. So we never need to fear that a supply of mercy will run out. Ephesians 2 tells us he's rich in mercy. And God's mercy is a product of his love. Lamentations, probably one of the most famous passages about God's mercy. The suffering Jeremiah in his prayer. Lamentations is five chapters of just lamenting. And in the middle of that, Jeremiah says, This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that were not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Jeremiah, in the midst of his suffering, knew how to say, Blessed be God. And then thirdly, Paul says, We bless God because he's the source of all comfort. The end of verse 3, the God of all comfort. The word para, uh, comfort there is paraclesis, 
It means solace or consolation or to ease from fear or concern. Now, that's what we look for, right? We want that comfort, that solace, consolation, that everything's going to be all right. Well, God told us it's going to be all right. All things work together for good. We know that. That's the comfort we have. James 4 or 8 instructs us to draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to us. We find comfort in drawing near to God in our trials. Psalm 57, 1, David says, Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. Is that how we pray? Lord, I'm going to find my refuge in you, you until this stuff goes away. Or do we just keep praying, God, take it away. Get rid of it. Make me better. In the shadow of his wings, we find comfort and refuge. So there really is no comfort apart from God. You can't experience it outside of God's presence. What the world sees as comfort is not true comfort. What they want is to be pacified or relieved from suffering. Comfort doesn't come in the form of relief from suffering. Comfort comes in the form of refuge during suffering, of God's mercy through the suffering, of his presence as we suffer. That's the real comfort that he offers. People don't want to travel the path that leads to knowing God better, and yet it's through our trials that God helps us to know him better. Maybe that's why we don't know God as well as we should, that we don't have that fellowship, because we're more interested in getting out of the bad stuff than we are in drawing closer to him during the bad stuff. But those who never draw near to him will never find comfort. And so Paul tells us we should bless him. That should be our attitude. But then he gives us several lessons in the rest of this passage about God's comfort. And I want you to look at verse 4. He says, who comforted us, comforted us, oh, I can't see the word now, comforteth us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Now, he gives us an important truth here. He says, here's the reason why God will give you comfort in your afflictions, and it's not to make you feel better. It's not to make your life a little easier. It's not even so that you are not in distress anymore. The reason God offers his comfort is so that we will know how to comfort others. Now, nobody wants to hear that when they're suffering. Well, God allows things in your life because, you know, it teaches you how to help other people when they go through similar things. Yeah, okay, I know, I've heard it before, but right now I just want God to take care of this, right? Paul stresses that. The reason for God's comfort is so that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort we ourselves receive from God. See, it's just like everything else in the Christian life. We're not here to be a sponge. We don't just soak in the goodness of God. We don't just soak in his truth. We don't soak in his comfort so that I can feel better. The whole purpose for the Christian life is for us to be channels. Through us, God can show his love. Through us, 
God can show his mercy. And through us, God can show his comfort. And he uses us in our trials to be able to comfort others. Now, people don't want to hear that. No, I I just want to feel better. I just want my life to be better. Well, your life will be a lot better if you just accept the fact that, number one, God is good, and number two, your purpose on earth is to bring that goodness to other people. End of story. You don't matter. You matter to God because he wants to use you to give glory to himself. That's where your value is. And that's where the comfort will come when you understand that. But Paul says here, comfort is for other people. Our comfort is for the purpose of comforting other people. His comfort is also found in the truth. C.S. Lewis said, if you look for truth, you may find comfort in the end. But if you look for comfort, you will get neither comfort or truth, only soft soap and wishful thinking to begin, and in the end, despair. If all we look for is comfort for ourselves, it doesn't matter what the circumstances hold, we'll be miserable. Because people who live for themselves are miserable. That's what the Bible says. But if we seek God for his truth, and the truth is he wants to use us in the lives of other people, then we'll find comfort. Have you ever thought that all the bad things that you have to go through in this life are not for you, but it may be for someone else? Are you still willing to go through all of that for somebody else's sake? Isn't that what Jesus did for us? See, Paul says, when we, when we start to think that way, then we start to understand what comfort is. Then we really start to experience the comfort that God has for us. In John 14, Jesus said this in verses 26 and 27, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives do I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. This is just before Jesus goes to heaven. He's promising that he's going to send a comforter. He's talking to his disciples, and he says, I'm going to send a comforter and who the Father will send in my name. It's the Holy Ghost, and here's how he brings you comfort. He will teach you all things and help you remember all the things that I taught you. I'm sure the disciples were probably thinking, what is that supposed to mean? How is that comforting? Rome here wants to kill us. Remembering the teachings of Jesus, that's going to bring comfort when we're running for our lives? Yes. Because the Holy Spirit is our comforter. Now we, if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit in you. He indwells us. That's the promise that God gave us as believers. And the Holy Spirit here is called the Comforter by Jesus Christ, Parakletos. His purpose is to do what? Not make us feel better, not heal us, not even give us all the things that we think we need. His purpose is to teach us, to lead us into all truth. That's the source of comfort, God's truth. 
Jesus says here, the, tum- the comforter shall teach you all things. Why didn't he use a different word? Why didn't he call him the teacher or the rabbi or you know, the master, the instructor? He used the word comforter. The one who will console you and his consolation comes by teaching you the truth of God. So comfort is not found in being comfortable. It's found in putting our faith in God's word as the source of our comfort. Because what better comfort can we find than in the truth? I mean, is there any comfort found in lies? Especially the lies that we tell ourselves. Things like, God wants me to be happy, so my life has to get better. Really? Paul didn't say that. Jesus didn't say that. It's not found, comfort is not found in being comfortable. Comfort is found in understanding and letting the Word of God apply in our lives. In Romans 15, 4, Paul wrote, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that through patience and comfort of the Scriptures we might have hope. The truth gives comfort. That's the channel that God uses to bring comfort to us. Again, it's not better circumstances, better health, having everything we want. Comfort is found in what God says. Psalm 119, the entire psalm is focused on the word of God. It says, great peace have they which love thy law. Nothing shall offend them. God's comfort is found in his law. Isaiah 26, verse 3, thou will keep him in perfect peace. Who's what? Mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. And so we learn to be comforted by God when through patience we learn to trust what God tells us in his word. But if we don't care what he says in his word, we're never going to find comfort. Because that's the source. That's where the Holy Spirit's going to take what he's taught us, what Jesus said, and bring to mind those things that we've already read and understood to bring comfort to our lives. And so the promises of Scripture are the greatest source of comfort that we could ever experience. We, we sang that song this morning, standing on the promises. Are we? Are we living by the promises of God, or are we walking around complaining because things aren't going the way they should? See, if we live by faith, and really that comes down to trusting that God's word is true and applies to me, just like it applies to everybody else, that's what faith is. God's word is true and it applies to me, then we find comfort in taking the time to spend with him in his word. Be still and know that I am God. How do we know that he is God? It's in his word. Everything he wants us to know, it's in his word. And the Holy Spirit will teach us from that and will bring us comfort. We know that God's going to fulfill every promise that he speaks there. Just the ones, I mean, there's hundreds of promises in Scripture that we can claim for ourselves as believers. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, Jesus said. You believe that? Find comfort in it. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now, God does care about our food and clothing, but you know what? He cares more about our spiritual needs. Find comfort in that. Psalm 55, cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Now, that is talking about our faith, not our location. 
Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. Does that mean nothing bad is ever going to go wrong in our lives? No. It says he gives us an expected end. Looking forward, we will have perfect peace. We can have it now. In Philippians 4, it tells us that if we bring every request to him by prayer and supplication, that the perfect peace which passes all understanding shall keep our hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. So there's promises there. But how often do we go to those promises for comfort? We just want to feel better. We just want the circumstance to change. And yet God says the comfort is found in his truth. Second, Paul says the comfort that we uh, experience is in direct proportion to the, the trials that we experience. In verse 5, if you look down at verse 5 here, he says, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And he goes on for five or six verses, and he says, it's all about suffering. If we don't have suffering, we'll never experience the comfort of God. And when Paul's talking about the God of all comfort, he's speaking about the God of comfort that he's experienced personally. Now, you may look at this and go, oh, well, you know, this is a good theory, but, you know, maybe Paul doesn't understand what he's talking about here. I think Paul does more than any other human except Jesus Christ. Paul experiences God's comfort in a way that none of us ever will because he went through trials and suffering that none of us ever will. In fact, if you go back or go down to verse 8 through 10, he says, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. He goes on for several verses talking about how extreme the suffering was that they had to go through. In 2 Corinthians 11, you get to the end of the book. And here's what he says about his suffering. He says, comparing himself to other so-called leaders who want to say they're better than Paul. He says, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequent. In death, oft. Of the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes, save one. Three times beaten with rods, once was stoned, three times suffered shipwreck, a night and a day have been in the deep, that's in the water, journeyings often, perils of waters, perils of robbers, perils by my own countrymen, perils by the heathen, perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold nakedness, beside all these things that are without those pressures that come daily upon me in the care of all the churches. Now you take that list and you say, okay, can we really even compare our lives and our sufferings to what Paul had to go through? I've asked this before, and nobody has ever taken me up on it, but if you had the opportunity to trade your life with the Apostle Paul, would you do it? We read what Paul's life was like. We don't want that. And yet Paul said, in my sufferings I rejoice. Blessed be God. You can't experience the comfort of God apart from the affliction. Because it's through the affliction that God brings comfort. 
And the point is, unless God allows us to suffer, we would never know what it means to be comforted by him. Third, the purpose for our comfort is so that we may be able to comfort others. And I already expressed that. I just want to stress it one more time. It's not for us. God uses us to bring his goodness to other people. Paul says that here. He says, if I have suffered and if I have received God's comfort, it's so that I could bring God's comfort to you. That's our purpose. That's the purpose and comfort. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul explains another stewardship that God's given us. He talks about, uh, in, in verse 17 through 19, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We know that part. Then he goes on, and all things are of God, <clears throat> who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus reconciled us to God in salvation, so that we can bring the message of reconciliation to others. Why did God save you? Not to make your life better. Not so you could have eternal life even. God saved you to continue the ministry of Jesus Christ in bringing the message of reconciliation to those who need to hear it. It's very clear about that right here in 2 Corinthians 5. He's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. And in the same way, God has given to us the ministry of comfort to each other, to others. So it's not about me being comforted. The only thing that God accomplishes or that God really wants to accomplish in comforting us is to prepare us so that we might comfort other people. That's what matters. And as we comfort other uh, other people, then we experience God's comfort on another level. What did Jesus say? It is more blessed to give than to receive, right? You want comfort? Look to give comfort. You experience God's comfort? Pass it to other people. The purpose for God's comfort, then, is to make us into comforters, those who comfort others. If you want a summary of God's comfort, here it is. God wants to give you what is best, even in your affliction and trials and suffering. God wants you to learn what is best by taking you through those trials which bring you closer to him. And what is best is to trust God's word in those trials and suffering and rejoice in being in his presence, even if it takes suffering and trial to bring you there. God wants us to be close to him. God wants us to draw near to him. And if he has to take us to suffering to get, it, get us to do that, that's the best thing he can do. And then, as we experience the comfort in God as we draw near to him, we are to take that comfort to other people. That's our purpose. And that's where real comfort is found. Not seeking to be comforted, but seeking the God of all comfort so that we may be able to comfort others in their distress. The reason so many people are not comforted is because they desire to be comfortable more than they desire to be close to God. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not bow down to the idol, where did they experience God's presence the most? In the midst of the fire. 
The same is true for us. So comfort is found in learning to desire what God desires for us, that through those trials and afflictions, through that suffering, we might be drawn closer to him. And as we draw closer to God, we help other people draw closer to God. So when you're struggling and need comfort, draw near to God through the promises of his word. That's the best comfort you can find. And the Bible says he will draw near to you and he will fulfill in you the fullness of all those promises. The God of all comfort. You want to experience comfort like you've never experienced in your life? Paul's got the solution right here for us. Experience God's comfort in your affliction, your trials, so that you can draw near to him. And as you draw near to him, you will be able to comfort others in their affliction as well. If it's all about you, you're going to be miserable your whole life, no matter what your circumstances. If it's all about Jesus Christ and what he can do in your life, you'll have comfort like you've never experienced before. That's his promise. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are the God of all comfort, that you love us and you want what's best for us. You will give us what is good even in those times when we're suffering. And Lord, it's in those times that we're suffering that we learn to draw close to you, but so often we neglect that. So teach us to draw nigh to you so that we can be near to the God of all comfort. And Lord, as we are comforted, may we be ambassadors of your comfort to other people. That's your purpose. And so help us to abide by your truth, to live in it, to be close to you and learn from it so that your will might be accomplished in each one of us. And then we can truly say, blessed be God, the God of all comfort. Thank you again for your love for us. And we just praise you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.